0: Welcome to Disruptive Narratives. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. In these episodes, we will be highlighting people who are impacted by histories and systemic processes of neglect and disinvestment, but do not often have a seat at the table and may not feel seen. This is a space for people radically reimagining a path forward, but not necessarily a space for those who are unpersuaded by the need for a better world where Black futures matter. We are focused on sharing perspectives that are often unshared or unheard because they challenge what we think we know. In this program, guests are the experts of their own reality. Jaka Macaulay, artist, organizer, organizer, artist. Macaulay states that he has been called these things interchangeably throughout his life. From South Central LA to Minneapolis, Macaulay was raised by a mother who was an artist, and as such, it was foundational to his way of being in the world. Shock has also experienced all the perils of being a Black man in urban America. When Macaulay came to Minneapolis, he never expected to stay, but later found his work as an artist, which originated with graffiti art in South Central, would flourish and grow with mentorship and support in the Twin Cities. Macaulay, also known as I Self Divine, works at Hope Community Inc., building community power and supporting art as a vessel for change. I would love for you to share with us a bit about where you are from and describe the community that helped you develop this strategic way of being and thinking. Good, bad, or indifferent. Wow. Okay, I, I was uh
1: raised and involved in a very nurturing environment in the so i was born in 1972 uh, the year the black power era you know began to dismantle uh, via cointelpro Uh, but the way i liken it is to someone who was dying of terminal cancer but they were still around so Mm. i still remember and have views of what things used to look like. Um, but I also had a mother who was adamant on providing context, which allowed me to not internalize my conditions. So, you know, um, I remember going to the Watchtower. I remember going to poetry groups. I remember going to uh, Kwanzaa festivals at Mer Park, um, being involved with the National African People's Organization. Um, Father being involved with the Solid Dad Brothers, raised uh, raised with um, Barry White in South Park off of Avalon. Um, uh, one of the first group of kids who were bused in 1977. So, coming from South Central Los Angeles, uh, bus going through the Nickerson Garden Projects, they're throwing eggs at the, at the, at the bus, you know, getting to a school being able to understand race and class very clearly, me and the kids from the projects would, you know, pick and choose which kid we was going to jack, you know? So, uh, these days kids talk about being outside. Like before it was, I was super duper outside. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I was a latchkey kid or gen X, you know? So the disillusion of the family, you know, mom who worked, uh, third shift, you know, so, uh, but as I was coming up, being bust, my mom was going to school at Immaculate Heart uh, College. Uh, and so I was raised around an artistic environment. I was raised around, you know, boutiques and fabrics and, you know, my mom hustling her her uh, artwork in the park. You know, I remember one year when I was maybe a teen, late teens, my mom was like, yo, I, ta- I taught you how to hustle, what's good? Like, wh- how come you're not moving and grooving? You know, like, you see me out here hustling. Uh, you know, a lot of my mom's artwork is not around because she had to barter it, you know, for mm-hmm. goods and services. I mean, heavy-duty artwork, you know. So I was raised by an artist. I was raised by a poet. I was raised by someone who had a political analysis, but, you know, the streets take the best of them. So that's kind of like the entry point. And so okay. it's really, really important to kind of, Harp on this because my outlook on how I do what I do, I don't, it is just what it is. I don't really make too much of it. It's just the way I was raised and I don't see a separation. So, as it relates to art and as it relates to music, it never was framed to me as entertainment. Of course, you know, you heard it in the background, you know, on Sundays or the weekend when mom's cleaning the house, you know, Stevie Wonder, et cetera, et cetera. But it was always grounded that this was a tool. And so I don't know anything mm-hmm. other than, and so it's not, I don't like, I don't want, I don't want to be celebrated in that fashion. It's kind of like, you know, celebrating a, a father for doing his job. Like, this mm-hmm. is what you're supposed to do. Like, you're not getting no hooray. Like this is what it is. So that's my orientation. And so, uh, I also was, um, I was always told that I was brought here for a purpose. So I thought that it meant I was chosen. I mean I was chosen, but I thought it meant it was gonna be easier. But really it meant that the uh the wrath of God, you know, was descended upon. You know what I mean? Like sometimes some of the places we're expected to go, they need to smell uh singe, they need to smell fire. <laughs> Like, is you, okay, no, 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 you're not built. You don't even understand our experiences. So I come from the mud, so to speak, you know, and I'm a testament that I'm here functioning based on all of the collapsing of institutions, whether it be the school institution, whether it be police. I mean, you you think of, you, you think of whatever you could think of has been thrown at me, you know? And so a lot of times when you, so, not survival's guilt, but you kind of sit and be like, damn, you know, you like even when I hear what you say, it's, it's hard. It's a disassociation to even acknowledge, you know, what you've done. You're always on the go. So, that's kind that's of like right. the, the, the origin of kind of like where I came from, my outlook. This hybrid practitioner that we'll talk about was a, kind of planted in the very beginning. So, the ability to see multiple connections and multiple viewpoints.
0: This is Disruptive Narratives. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. Disruptive Narratives is a co-production of Camo J and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. I'm living my purpose. I genuinely believe you feel the same.
1: I feel now, yeah. You know, it feels like, uh, you know, Michael Jackson and Beat It. No, no, the Billy Jean and the floor lights up. You know, like, okay, cool, where I'm stepping <laughs> I love that.
0: What brought you here? What brought you to the Twin Cities? What happened in your life, your family's life, your mother's life, that made this the place of space for you to transition?
1: Um. So I had an aunt and two cousins that uh, left in 87. And they were going to Minneapolis.
0: Okay.
1: And so it's like, all right, see ya. You know, not knowing that, you know, I'd be coming in two, two years, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, for me, I was in a lot of trouble. Like I said, you know, I was, you know, in the streets at five and by 14, I was uh, locked up. They were trying to get me into, uh, CYA County, California Youth Authority. But if you ask my mom, my mom would tell you that I looked her in the eye and was like, mom, help me. Like, I don't know if I'm gonna make it out of here. And then my mom was like, you know, uh couldn't look myself in the face if I had to bury him. So it was a mixture of just being in the midst of the gang stuff, uh, a mixture of, you know, my mom being afraid that California is going to fall in the, in the water, uh, as well as, you know, I think my mom had gone for a position, didn't get it because at the time she was a victim witness assistant program coordinator, which is a, a mouthful. But what she would do is she'd be positioned in police stations and would work with families who couldn't afford to bury themselves or things of that nature. Prior to that, she was involved in working at Killer King, or next to Killer King, Augustus F. Hawkins, as working in psychiatric hospitals. So this piece of dealing with drama was already built within my genes and my mom exploring social work. So between those factors, my mom um, looked for different schools to do her master's, and it came down to the University of Minnesota and the University of Pittsburgh. And so it boiled down to who celebrated MLK day. and that's who she chose. And I guess okay. at the time, University of Pitt didn't, and Minnesota did. And then I remember wow. prepping, my mom would have me watch these programs, you know, on prints and all this other stuff, like, yo, and so when we came here, we drove in a moving truck from LA to uh, Minnesota. It took maybe three days. And of course, when you're coming in here from Wisconsin, all you see is cows. And I was mm-hmm. like, "See, this is what it is." And so okay. the plan was just to be here for a year, you know, do high school and then get gone. And so, because uh, okay. I was in and out, I did not plan on staying here. Um, I, but I came here on probation. I had probation officer, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I went back to California in the midst of my senior year. The day that I got there was the day after Rodney King got beat, and you could just feel it. It was mm-hmm. just heavy. Like, people were skittish. Like, it felt like the the, the air was made of cotton, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and then, you know, the girlfriend I was with at the time wasn't rocking with me, wasn't responding to my calls. It's, I came out there to sign a deal and a myriad of other things, and nothing worked. So I came back to uh, Minneapolis, and you know that was when the administrators were like, "Yo, based on this trajectory, you're not going to graduate." And so I enrolled myself in the two schools and eventually graduated. And then shortly after that, got caught up into some other stuff and had to. On the streets, they say, "Sit down for a minute." So I had to kind of—I was on timeout. Keep my mind right. You know, upper <laughs> upper education, depending on how you want to frame it. So that's kind of what turned the trajectory of being here and staying here. And then it kind of and children came in the midst, you know, shortly after getting out of being incarcerated. And I've always been involved in art and things of that nature. But getting out of jail and seeing a chance uh, advertisement for art is kind of what turned the trajectory. Up until that point, I had done art for commerce. You know, doing greeting cards for the, for my family, but I was so much in survival mode. I went back to the streets. My mom would always be like, "Why don't you do these cards or these?"
0: You're back to your roots.
1: I just you know went back to the block, so to speak. But uh, well, put me on the trajectory of where I'm at now. I think I was I don't know where I saw it, but it was a advertisement for this program called Extensions. Okay. And you know, at that time, I was working some temp jobs, and uh, of course. Being a Sagittarius, you know, I did it at the last minute. I'm not sure (laughs) if that's attributed to Sagittarius, but I'm going to just connect it. But but nonetheless, I remember being on the bus. I remember writing it in pencil and literally writing it, you know, on the way there. And I mean, it was all dramatic. Like, you know, if if you're supposed to turn in at at 12, I was there at 11.59, like breathing, (laughs) running. Here's my, uh, here's my applications And, um. This this uh, wonderful sister had uh, found my application. Saw it was written in pencil, very crude. But uh, while I was incarcerated, I had gotten um, the autobiography of um, Miles Davis, okay. and so I read, you know, some of the challenges and was able to draw a connection between jazz and hip hop in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, the connections of what some of the jazz artists were facing. You know, the racism, the issues of marijuana, the heroin. And I felt like it was a kindred spirit. I mean, I already knew that hip hop had other uh, family members, but my connection to jazz is what sparked his sister to reach out, f- to connect with me. And so that was my introduction to Intermediate Arts, which was in 92, so early that it wasn't even on the south side, it was on the southeast side, on Ontario, on the... The, the East Bank, West Bank, I always get those two mixed up. But that's yeah. how early it was. And then from there, that provided the infrastructure and guidance that was needed that I just haphazardly stumbled into.
0: What were the like parameters of the extension program? What were you signing up for?
1: I was ex- I was signing up to be mentored by an artist. And the okay. artist's name was Milagros Yajer and was very instrumental in uh, my work in nonprofits and understanding, you know, this role. And so she connected me with, you know, uh, an elder who's no longer with us, uh, uh, Carrie Thomas. Um, And we did projects and just showed me different opportunities of what could be done in the art world, you know. but that was kind of like my, my entry point.
0: This is Disruptive Narratives. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis. Disruptive Narratives is a co-production of Camo J and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Thinking about your entry point and what currently exists to support budding, growing artists do you think the same supports exist do they look different um what do they need i'm not
1: sure if it's different you know or or, or what is the same i think i think with anything any initiative that emerges i've always been mindful of co-option or if it's successful if it works will they change or you know, what is the overall strategy? And so, you know, I think that what I'd like to do is kind of go back to the past and then back to the future. So back in the past, even though I didn't have a name for it, most of the people who trained and taught me were in the community and they were funded through a structure called the Comprehensive Education Training Act that Reagan uh, dismantled when he got into office. But after a lot of the urban uprisings, you know, the nonprofits changed their focus from charity to, you know, mm-hmm. I always say, you know, how many um Huey P's were turned into executive directors, you Ooh. know, but okay. with the CETA, it, it allowed for community folks to go back into community, you okay. know, so I look at that funding structure and then look at Back now to the 90s, you know, CETA had been dismantled. So that structure of the value of artists and having artists from the community go into the communities they're from, you know, was paramount. I would assume that, you know, early Sesame Street funding, you know, benefited from CETA. But I didn't understand that framework and that analysis of the system until I was involved in another project that emerged out of a, Intermediate, which was uh, Institute of uh, Community and Cultural Development, or CCLI is the the new iteration. And so back to the question that you asked me, um, the struggle is always the struggle. Um, There may be incremental change. And so to me, inside of my bubble, so to speak, you know, it's not getting enamored with incremental things. And so, you know, you take two steps forward, 100 steps back. It's just a weird game and it's always designed to, to to get you to think that we're further than where we're at, you know, or if a circle is inside of a circle, then the goal is to get you to look at the first two circles or to look at the first three levels of a building, but you're looking at a skyscraper. Mm. And so I did read the questions and I know like some of the things that I would offer other artists is to understand your landscape. Okay. Because it's designed to get you to minimize what the bigger picture is. You know, um, when I was young, growing up, you know, back to the investigative journalist piece you were talking about, I remember growing up listening to NPR, Cokie Roberts, just to mm-hmm. kind of give you like my mom was on something different. So I okay. remember hearing like, oh, damn, the helicopters crash and the Iran joiner, uh, Oliver Norfer. You know, like I came up in the cocaine crack game and I understand that, you know, Rick Ross and all this other stuff, like Snowfall, like that's my life. I've been through Snowfall, that neighborhood's exact environment, you know what I mean? And so it's weird to have this context of understanding the environment that we we're coming up in, socio-political, economic, and art lens related to that. So it was always... Kind of a mishmash, but to go back to the question you initially asked of funding and does it look different? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, um, the mentoring that I got you know, the mentoring that I've gotten is, is far and in between, and sometimes it feels like I have not really had a mentor, but there have been mentors here and there. Um, but that level of infrastructure, uh, m- maybe the time, energy was more, but maybe the financial representation was, 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 uh, less than to where more, maybe now you have more infrastructure, more money, but maybe not as much mentoring and and time and energy spent in, you know, developing and kind of understanding, you know, uh, who you are and the possibilities. I think the benefit of A father being around a son is not to say that you will be exactly like me, but it gives an opportunity to glimpse at the potential possibilities of where I could go, who Mm -hmm. I could become. So does that answer your question? I want to make sure, you know, that inside of (laughs) going to the balcony, I always want to, you know, walk off on the floor.
0: I mean, I would reaffirm this tension you're describing between chasing grants and opportunities and having any time to mentor or be in community to the levels they would like to be. I feel like there was a tension that was brought up in some of those interviews. Um, When we asked questions about collaboration, it was actually really fascinating. There was a subset of artists who feel isolated. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's another group of artists whose actual medium requires collaboration. But there was a big group that I was actually shocked, talked a great deal about their feelings of isolation um, as artists. And it's not necessarily something they desire, but the ways the structures are set up, it's not encouraged or supported necessarily. Um, So I feel like what you're naming came up very clearly in, in some of our conversations.
1: And one of the things that's really interesting for me is I didn't really take into consideration how much of collaboration I'm involved in. Mm -hmm. It may look as if I make decisions by myself, but I I don't make any decisions by myself, whether it be publicly or privately. It requires checking in with a multitude of people. Um, Where I'm at currently, I'm actually having to become more selfish because to a degree, if I'm trying to find my own other than music, it's difficult to find my own art because my art is so collaborative. And so part of what it is is spending time on myself to develop, you know, because I think that inside of all of the things that I've done, what I've lost is, is some of my personal stuff. You know, and so I always say when I started, some of the older artists will be like, man, your trajectories is man interesting. You know, I might have started off as an artist organizer, then became an organizer artist. And then the goal is to return to an artist organizer because I forget. The way trauma works is it's to you forget different things like, you know what, you know, you do music, right? Like, oh, yeah. So in order to kind of operate, I have had to kind of dumb myself down of who I am. And it was funny because even when Oakland, like I got a few homies that moved out to Oakland and I get it. I know why they did But I've been, that. I was raised that way, you know, so I know what the rest of the world looks like. So sometimes when I was doing time in jail, I didn't want to focus on what was going on outside in order to do my time. And sometimes that's how it feels in Minneapolis. There's a lot of Mm. great things here, but in terms of who I am and how I operate, there's also a level of resistance. And I've learned that you can't, hit, what you can't see. So I've learned how to hide in plain sight. But now there's different pieces of me to where I'm just, I'm tired. I'm not doing that no more. You know, and it's interesting because um, people talk about isolation, whereas I'm actually coming out of isolation because in my earlier career, I did so much convening and, and holding space to meet and gather and that took a lot of energy. You know, uh, I've gained a lot, but I've also lost a lot in this work in terms of sanity, probably some years on Earth. And so, you know, after a certain point, you've convened enough. And then the goal is to be convened and to be invited into spaces with people who you've convened or mentored. And so for me, you know, being seen and being involved, it, it became problematic at one point in time. And so uh, being in isolation and knowing I can trust myself because it was safe. So it was self-isolation. So I was doing that before the pandemic happened because I just could tell because I was a part of a community that I created that I could tell it was designed to eat itself. And so I I knew to get out early and I knew I was part of the community, but not necessarily fully of it. You know, and so in order to do that, I had to uh, create some buffers. You know, uh, one of the things that's different is I don't, sometimes I like to, uh, have friends that don't know what I do. So I can have different sets of conversations because what starts (laughs) to happen is, is there is to be a bleed. And if you're dealing with heavy issues at some point in time, you want a palate cleanser. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you isolate yourself in order to, when you're playing the long game, um, there's certain things you need in terms of even your self care routine. So what do you do for yourself? You know, if you're dealing with issues that are, that, that do things to your body, then where are physical elements that will help flush it out of your body? That's why like, you know, basketball and stuff is, is so important because it's like, I've learned it's like a physical strat, it's physical chess. And then at the end, it's like, oh, my day sucked. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the game. And so, you know, again, just thinking of the long term and you know, moving from isolation to collaboration. And so inside of my trajectory, I've seen the best of people and I've also seen the worst in people. And so uh, the best in people is what allowed me to step up into convene spaces. The worst of people is what had me to retreat.
0: So in reference to an exploration of how artists define justice and perhaps what barriers they've encountered in doing their justice focused work, I'm curious from you and your perspective, why do you believe foundations invest resources and time into this kind of exploration?
1: My first response is I don't know, because sometimes I don't know. Um, sometimes it's a situation to where someone is sent to do a job that no one could complete and they didn't expect you to do it. Okay. And like, oh, snap, you came through every So and commissioners mm-hmm. are doing related to. Public gatherings. Yep. So, this piece around co-option is never really within people's strategy in that part. And it goes back to the movement study. So, who has good spirit, good intentions okay. that is not aware of, um, okay. You know, uh, so if your power mapping is inside, who, who are you going after? Right. You're going after program officers? Okay, cool. But in the same way of organizing around electoral cycles, sometimes those people will change. And when they change all of that, all of those efforts, all of that relationship, the conversations, the philosophical outlook on things, you know, change. So it's it's always like a farmer digging in the field. And each time you dig, you have to go right back because each time you disrupt something. Okay. So disruption is 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 part of it.
0: To hear the second part of our conversation, visit CamoJFM.com. Disruptive Narratives is a production of CamoJ Radio and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. Made with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund, hosted by Dr. Brittany Lewis, produced by Miranda Wilson. Edited by Abdi Muhammad. Music by Jerome Rankin.